0: have mentioned, uh, we start our run-up uh, towards Christmas. It's known as Advent. Uh, Christmas doesn't actually start until Christmas Day, and uh, there are various Advent terrorists who are quite strict about that and don't like people talking about Christmas before Christmas Day. But the season of Advent, like Lent, is supposed to be a period of reflection and rest and thoughtfulness as we think about the coming Jesus. And this evening we begin with that story, the story of what's known as the Annunciation when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and everything was different after that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you again for this time of year when we can start to look forward to celebrating the coming of your son. Your son who came 2,000 years ago, born as a baby in Bethlehem and who one day will return, King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we live in this in-between time, then, Lord, help us to anticipate with hope. Help us to look forward with joy. Help us to be courageous in the present. And would you rekindle faith and hope and life in us tonight, that we might believe, that we might trust, that we might surrender our lives to you, even afresh this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think I've only consciously been in the presence of an angel once. It may have happened lots of other times. But consciously and knowingly, I think it's only happened once. I told this story, I think, a couple of times here in church over the last 20 years or so, but apologies if you've heard it before. But it's about 30 years ago, and I was working in Sheffield for a week. And my dad had been taken seriously ill with a psychiatric illness, and he was in hospital on the far side of the Pennines in Macclesfield. And on the Tuesday evening, um, I drove across with a friend called Pippa, who is an old friend from university, and we got in the car to drive across from Sheffield to Macclesfield. Now, if you've ever driven that road, it is a particularly very bendy road. After about 10 minutes of me driving on this road, I noticed that my friend Pippa was looking consciously over her shoulder, her right shoulder, into the back seat. I thought, well, my driving's not that bad, but what's she looking at? I said, Pippa, what are you looking at? As we drove these bendy, windy roads. And she looked at me. I'd known Pippa by that stage for about five or six years. And she said, Dave, I don't know how to say this, but I think there are two angels in the back seat. So I slowed down, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and I couldn't see a thing. Now, you can say that it was auto suggestion, but from that moment on, it was as though there were two people sitting in the back seat of the car. I kept the speed limit all the way then from Sheffield to Macclesfield. We got to the hospital where we were going to visit my dad, I reached across into the back seat to get something and turned to Pippa and said, do you think they mind me reaching across them? She gave me a withering look and said, they've already got out. (laughs) Okay, and we went in to see my dad. Now, my dad had been a spiritualist for about 16, 17 years and had had various episodes of mental illness. He'd received psychiatric care, he'd received medication, he'd received psychological treatment but he also needed some spiritual treatment and two days before I'd got a friend in who was a doctor and they prayed with my dad. We walked into the ward to see my dad. Pipper had met my dad three or four times over the years and it had always been Mr. Richards, Mr. Richards, Mr. Richards because that was his name. I tried to share my Christian faith with my dad lots of occasions over the previous eight or nine years during the time that I'd been a Christian. And I'd got absolutely nowhere. In fact, most times I ended up completely exhausted, and I quickly realized that I wasn't just taking on my dad, I was taking on all the spiritual forces behind him in his spiritualism. We chatted with my dad. After about 10 minutes, Pippa just turned to my dad and said, Well, Ken, that was his first name, I think it's about time you met Jesus. My dad looked at Pippa and said, Yes, I think it is. I was outraged. (laughs) I tried for eight or nine years to share my faith with my dad, got absolutely nowhere. Pippa wanders in, 10 minutes, bang, and he says yes. And we talked with my dad and we prayed with my dad that night. And that night, my dad became a Christian. As we left him, he said, you do realize that I can see things and I can hear things that no one else can see. Pippa said to my dad, if you have Jesus on your side, you can tell these things to go away and they will go away in the name of Jesus. We got back to the car. I turned to Pippa and said, they're not here, are they? She said, no, they've stayed with your dad to protect him. A week later, I was back down south in the English Midlands at Birmingham University and I was uh, talking to one of the students that I was getting to know who was in the Christian group that I was working with. And I told her the story from the previous week. She said, that is amazing. I said, I know. She said, no, 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 that's incredible. I said, Yeah, I know. She said, no, that is just unbelievable. I said, yes, I know. I was in the car. She said, no, 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 no. What you don't know is this. A group of us met together to pray for you and your dad last Tuesday. And we felt led to pray specifically that God would send angels to protect you and that they would stay with your father and protect him. I said, that's amazing and I married her. (laughs) Because I wasn't daft. Angels appear mostly in the Old Testament. They appear mostly in the Old Testament because after the ascension of Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit, and God doesn't need to send angels in the same way. Because we have the presence of God living with us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is given to particular people for a specific time for a particular reason. To kings, to prophets, and to priests. But now after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is given to all believers. Everybody who believes that Jesus died in their place on the cross and rose again from the dead has the presence of God, the power of God, the person of the Holy Spirit living inside them. There are only two angels named in the Bible. One is Michael and one is Gabriel. They each appear four times. There's a lovely description of angels uh, by a writer called Fleming Rutledge. He describes them as this, bisecting messengers between truth and falsehood, life and death, mercy and judgment, eternity and time. The word angel literally means messenger, angelos, sent one. It means messenger. They're like sort of celestial postmen that God sends to deliver messages for particular reasons when something big is about to happen. And here, Gabriel appears to this young girl. That depiction in that picture actually is an older version of Mary. Mary, when we meet here at this particular point, is probably aged between 11 and 14 years of age. She's betrothed to this guy called Joseph. In the culture of that particular time, first century Palestine, marriages were arranged. Then at the ages of between 11 and 14, a young girl would be betrothed. It was more serious than engagement. You'd be promised. That's when the financial transaction would take place between the two families. In order to become unbetrothed, you actually had uh, well, it involved death or divorce. It was a really serious thing if you were betrothed to somebody. And Mary is betrothed to this carpenter called Joseph. Nazareth is this small village 15 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee. It's a backwater. No one knows much about it. It may even have been the sort of place that was so primitive that the people were living still in caves. If you ever been to parts of Turkey or Palestine, you'll, you'll be aware that people used to live in the caves because they were more safe and, and more secure. And it may be that Mary even now is living in a cave. And then on this particular day, a day that was for Mary, just an ordinary day, unlike any other day. Mary had gotten up in the morning. Mary had had breakfast. In the morning. Mary had got dressed, maybe had brushed, Mary had brushed her hair, Mary had got herself ready for the day. Mary was going about doing what Mary was doing and then all of a sudden something happened. Something happened that was to change Mary's life. Something happened that was to change history. Something happened that was to change eternity. And something happened that was to change every single human being's life who has ever existed, either before or since. An archangel, Gabriel, appeared to this prepucessant 11, 12, 13-year-old girl. And everything was different after that. She receives a message from this angel. A message about a baby called Jesus. And Mary becomes, if you like, a sort of model disciple of Jesus. And in the words of Tim Keller, she does four things like any disciple of Jesus. Firstly, Mary thinks, Mary wasn't expecting an angel. Mary wasn't used to angelic appearances. They didn't happen all the time. It wasn't, oh, it's an angel, it's Tuesday. Of course it is. Mary was not expecting an angel to appear to her on this particular day because angels were not run-of-the-mill things around people like Mary. They were for the big figures, for, for kings and prophets and priests in the history of Israel. But all of a sudden, on this day, Mary, this ordinary girl, sees an angel and receives a message from this angel. You are highly favoured. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, which means God saves. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. He will reign forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary had not met an angel before. Mary had never seen a nativity play. Mary had not sung a Christmas carol. She didn't know that this is what happens to people called Mary around this time of year. And suddenly Mary's mind is blown. And we're told that her first response is that she wonders. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, verse 29, and wondered at what kind of greeting the Greek word that's used there is deo logistico. It means to reason. It means to think deeply. It means to wrestle. Yes, Mary wasn't from our culture. She wasn't influenced by the Enlightenment. She hadn't gone to chemistry classes and biology classes and math classes, but Mary still used her brain. Mary still tried to figure out what was happening. An angel Something that she'd never experienced before appears to her and begins to tell her that she will give birth to a son. And Mary starts to puzzle it out. Mary starts to think. Some people think that in order to become a a follower of Jesus, you have to turn your brain off. Mary, who if you like, is the first Christ follower, engages her brain At this moment, she is greatly troubled at the words of the angel and she wonders, she reasons. The second thing that Mary does is that she expresses her doubts openly. She asks a perfectly reasonable question How will this be since I am a virgin? There's no blind acceptance of what the angel tells her. There isn't a sort of shrug of the shoulders. No, of course, I'm Mary, he's Jesus. This is the way it's going to go because it's going to happen in all those nativity plays for thousands of years to come and 2,000 years later, small children in primary schools across the United Kingdom will wear tea towels on their heads and, and the girl who's the best behaved will be chosen for Mary. Everyone knows how, that's how it happens. Mary expresses her doubt. She says, how can this be? I haven't had sex. How can this be? How can I become pregnant since I am a virgin? When God asks us to do something, when God asks us to believe in him, maybe for the first time, or perhaps God asks you to do something that is difficult, it's perfectly reasonable, it's perfectly understandable for you to express doubts. The Christian faith is not blind faith. It's faith where we're allowed to express the limits of our human understanding. We're allowed to ask God questions. We're allowed to ask each other questions. Christian faith is is not for people who have everything sussed, 100% sure of absolutely everything. It's okay to have questions in following Jesus. The angel gives a double explanation the holy spirit will come upon you the power of the most high will overshadow you almighty god will work in her to enable her to do something that she herself could not do to enable to be someone that of herself she could not be that's the way the holy spirit works The Holy Spirit always enables us to do things that of ourselves we cannot do and to be people who of ourselves we cannot be. Maybe God's challenging you at the moment to do something. The only way that you can do it, difficult, impossible even though it may seem, is to ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit maybe God's putting his finger on some character trait and asking you to to give it over to him Maybe it's a pattern of behavior or thinking, and you' are just stuck into it at the moment. It's like a, uh, I was going to say a tape, but half of you aren't old enough to remember what tapes are. but it's like a, a DVD or a CD. I can't even think what the image would be, but it's like a sort of thing that just keeps on going, and you, you just press the same button, and the same thought pattern goes on inside your head, and, and God is saying, "I want you to change." I want you to stop doing that thing. I want you to stop thinking that way. I want you to stop thinking about yourself in that way. I want you to stop listening to what other people are saying about you and believing what they're saying about you and instead listen to what I say about you. And the only way that can happen is if the Holy Spirit works in your life. The only way that Mary could be obedient to what God was asking her to do was if the Holy Spirit came upon her and worked in her life. Some people, Libby was sharing this morning, have difficulty with the idea of of the virgin birth. Actually, it's not the virgin birth that's the problem, it's the virgin conception. The birth is easy compared with the virgin conception. The virgin conception is the big one, But as she reminded us this morning, if you think about it, whether you believe in a literal 60-day creation or whether you believe in a Big Bang or evolution, doesn't actually matter because the reality is that at some point, at some time in eternity, God was able to create something out of nothing. And if God was able to make something out of nothing then how much easier is it for God to make something else out of something else that he'd already created? I mean, if God can do Norway, or if God can do the Himalayas, virgin conception is a breeze compared to that, because he's God. He's bigger than our minds. He's bigger than our conception of him. Because he is God. He is able to do what we think is impossible. He is able to do far greater than the things we can possibly ask or imagine. Because he's God. And that's the whole point. So if people don't understand the virgin birth, or even more problematically the virgin conception, that's okay because it's bigger than us. But you see, God had never done it before. And God has never done it since. It's not as though Christians claim, oh yeah, these virgin conceptions and births happen all the time. It only happened once because it was the most important event in human history. God himself coming to live. God himself coming as a human. God himself reducing himself to the size of a fetus, an embryo. This is a remarkable claim. This is, this is why it would have blown the mind of Mary. Mary was a, a devout Jew, we're, 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 we're taught, that Mary couldn't possibly conceive, literally, of God, the maker of heaven and earth, Jehovah, the Lord Almighty, the one who made the heavens and the earth Becoming the size of a fetus. But that's the message at the heart of Christmas. That's the message at the heart of Advent. That's the message at the heart of that song that we just sang. That God loved people so much. God loved creation so much. That he became that small even though he was that big. And it blew Mary's mind, and she couldn't understand it, and she expressed her doubt. How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel has to tell her how it will happen. And he concludes with one of the most simplest, yet most powerful statements about God. With God, nothing is impossible, the angel says. Or with God, His Word never fails. You see, God is not limited by our possibilities. God is bigger. And Mary's response in verse 38 is that she surrenders completely. I am the Lord's servant, she says. May it be to me, according to you, your word. Someone once said that the hardest thing to give God, the hardest thing to give is in The hardest thing to give is in. Sometimes the only ability that God is asking for is availability. Maybe God is asking you at the moment to do something that seems really, really hard. It seems really, really difficult. It seems beyond you. It seems bigger than you. It seems almost impossible to you. Maybe it seems impossible because what God is asking you is so big. Maybe if you're honest this evening, actually it seems impossible to you because you don't want to do it. And what's going on is a a sort of a tug of war, a wrestling match between your will and God. Now God respects you as a human being. God respects you as part of his creation. God has given you something wonderful called free will and he is waiting for you. A surrender to him. He will not force you. He will not make you. But he's asking you to respond out of obedience, out of love, back to him. Because living life the way God wants us to live is the way that we were always meant to live as human beings. Jesus came and lived the life that, that we should live and died the death that we should have died in order that we might live the life that God wants us to live. But surrendering to God is perhaps the most difficult thing. And for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ or Christians or disciples, it actually means daily surrender. Jesus said, whoever wants to follow me, you must take up your cross daily. And for most of us, if we're honest, living the life that Jesus wants us to live isn't something that just happens once, or just happens once a week, or just happens on Sundays. For most of us, it's every moment of every hour, of every day, of every week. Sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's more difficult, but it's a daily giving over of ourselves to say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I know that you love me, and Jesus, I'm willing to give control of my life over to you. You see, Christianity is the reverse of most world religions. Most world religions are centered around the person. It's what you can get out of it. Christianity is the reverse of that. Christianity is about losing yourself. Christianity is about denying yourself in order that you might find yourself and be the person that you were always intended to be. But I love the way the angel finishes his message. He says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you, the power of the Most High will come upon you, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God, and then he gives her this little encouragement at the end. Gabriel says, even Elizabeth, your relative, your cousin, elderly cousin, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word to me be fulfilled. And what does Mary do? What does Mary do immediately afterwards? Does Mary burst out into a song of praise? Nope. That comes later. The song that we'll look at in a couple of weeks, the Magnificat, where she bursts out in songs of praise, that's not Mary's first response. Given the hint that her elderly cousin Elizabeth is pregnant, and this is the first that Mary has heard about it, Mary just pegs it to Elizabeth. Mary pegs it, to, runs quickly, to Elizabeth, her elderly cousin. And she's greeted by her elderly cousin who is out there. And something else happens that we'll look at next week. That as soon as her, the baby that's inside her cousin Elizabeth, who's going to become John the Baptist, as soon as this baby hears Mary's voice, it leaps in Elizabeth's womb. You see, just as when the angels appear to the shepherds and they they give a sign to the shepherds and they say, you'll find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. It's a clue. The shepherds go to Bethlehem and they find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Gabriel tells Mary, your cousin, your elderly cousin, is pregnant. You don't know this, but she's six months gone and you need to go and see her. And Mary pegs it. And maybe something starts to happen as Mary sees Elizabeth. And as Mary sees Elizabeth walking out of her house or her cave and she sees Elizabeth out here, and Mary's reaction is to go, oh. Because if Gabriel said that, and that bit is true, then maybe what's happening in me is what Gabriel has said. And she starts to wonder, and she starts to think, and she starts to realize that something bigger than her is happening. She's asked, well, she hasn't asked for proof, but she still gets proof. And Mary becomes this model disciple of Jesus. Jesus. She trusts Jesus even though she hasn't seen him. She expresses her doubt openly. She surrenders to God completely. And then she gets clues on the way. She gets evidence on the way. She gets hints on the way. And the hint for her is that her elderly cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. And that is so reassuring for Mary. But it's also deeply challenging. Because if her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant, then that bit, the other bit, that Gabriel said, well, that might be true as well. And if that is true as well, then everything has changed. Mary's life has changed. Joseph's life has changed. Israel's life has changed. Humanity's life has changed. Eternity has changed changed. Because everything is different. Because now all bets are off. There's a deeply theological statement for you. Because God is about to move into the neighborhood. And he's starting in Mary's womb. Libby.